What do you remember about being eight years old? I, I like eight. I don't know. Something about, I like kids that are eight. They're, they're, they're just, they're, they're energetic and they're, they're beginning to, to have some independence and a little more confidence, but they're still not so big that the, you know, the, the attitude hasn't kicked in yet, I hope. You know, that you're going to get when they're 11 or 12 or 13. And I, I like eight. Eight is a good age. And as, as an eight-year-old boy, my, my daily uh, tasks included exploring the fields and the woods near my house and, and playing with my brother or my cousins who live down the street or, you know, going to school, get a homework done, okay. But do that as fast as I could so I can play with my brother or my cousins. That was about pretty much my life as an eight-year-old boy. It was good. I liked it. How'd you like to be king when you're eight years old? I wouldn't have wanted that. I wouldn't know what to do with that. Josiah, we read about today, became king at age eight. Hmm. We looked already in this series, and today's the last of these. I just picked out four reformers, four people that brought great change to their people's day as leaders, as kings. And this is what I hope we're learning from this, is drawing from that, is, you know, yes, it's, it's a long time ago in a land far away, <laughs> but it really happened. But it still seems foreign to us because it was so long ago. And, and even this portion of the scripture often seems more distant to us. And yet these people, these places, these words, these events matter. And they matter to us when we see a leader do great changes like Asa, who, brought, who was really good at maintaining the peace. And his son, Jehoshaphat, who was wise and faithful and humble. And last week we looked at Hezekiah who made changes very quickly, needed changes. He united the Israelites in worship. He encouraged his people and he prayed together with the prophet Isaiah when they were threatened by yet another invading army. These were good leaders. And today we're looking at Josiah who is the last on the left column here. I've shown this chart every week uh, just to simplify it. On the left-hand side is the southern kingdom known as Judah. The people of Israel were divided into two kingdoms after Solomon. Saul, David, and Solomon had one kingdom. After that, there was a civil war, basically, and they were north and south, and they stayed that way. Uh, although they were still all descendants of Abraham, the people in the north never had one good king. Never one king that was identified in Scripture as following the ways of, of God and, and being pleasing to God. In the south, there was a mixture. And the ones in green are the ones that are good, and we looked at several of these. And notice here, this one circled in yellow is Josiah, and he's the last good king of Judah before they were destroyed by the Babylonian Empire because of the sins of the people. And we'll, we'll, we'll look at some of the reasons why that happened in a moment. But I just want you to get the time and place down here. This is Josiah and this boy king. And here's the summary statement about him in Second Chronicles at the start of the 34th chapter. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father. Josiah 
Now his family, his background was not very good examples to him, his own relatives, of what it's like to be a good king. His own grandfather may have been the worst king in terms of evil in the history of Judah. And yet he reigned 55 years, which was the longest reign of all the kings of Judah. But he was clearly very evil. We'll come back to that in a moment. His father, Ammon, was no better. And his kingdom only lasted two years. And he was assassinated by his own officials. And then moving forward, his, Josiah's own son, Joahaz, turned back to the ways not of his dad, but of his grandfather and great-grandfather. And did evil, and his reign only lasted two months. And that was just about the time the Babylonians were going to march in and you know, start to take control. But that's what makes this more amazing, the, the story of this young man and his leadership, is that he didn't have a good role model to follow, and yet he managed to do this. Now, it's great. I hope you have a good role model in your life, or many. Some presently today, some in your childhood that you can look back to and you're so thankful for, for, for mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or aunt or uncle or the Sunday school teacher or you know, someone in your life that made a huge difference that you're so thankful for. And we need people like that lined up in different phases and, and junctures in our life to help direct us in the right way. And Josiah didn't have that in terms of his grandfather or his father, but somewhere in his heart, there was a calling. He was anointed when he was only eight years old. At 16, he began to seek God. He began, to, and then four years later, he began to purge Judah. We'll talk about that in a moment. And at age 26, he purified and repaired the temple and led a great Passover celebration. All of this before he's 30. This young man dedicated his life to leading his people in a godly manner. And he is to be commended for that. But how bad was it? What was this mess that he inherited? If you go to um, the book of 2 Kings, and we're going to spend time there. 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles tell many of the same stories about many of the same kings. And in, in 2 Kings, I like some of the detail that uh, isn't contained in, in 1 Chronicles. Or 2 Chronicles. <coughs> Thank you, I am. Chapter 21 gives a summary about this man's grandfather. Now think about this in terms of the guy he's raised under, basically, who's king, and what he's like. He was pretty young, too, when he started. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah. I guess I got that right. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down 
to all the starry host and worshiped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to the starry hosts. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted medians and spirits. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. This is the king of Judah. This is the man who's charged with leading the people chosen by God to be his witness in this world of who God is, to follow the law of Moses and and, and to be godly and to help one another. He took it completely the opposite direction of his own father, Hezekiah. It was like this massive rebellion. If you were here last week or just read a little bit about Hezekiah, he was a fantastic king, a very godly man and led the people responsibly in a godly way. And his son took it the other direction, further in the other direction, sadly, than any of the other kings had done. This was the sin of Manasseh. So Josiah... We read that story a moment ago as we began about when the the books of the law were found. Now picture this. I just mentioned some of the things that, that Manasseh did in the temple itself. And so the, the temple was in disarray and the people didn't care about the law anymore. And one years turned into decades And eventually they forgot they were even in existence, apparently. Or if they did, they didn't care. Well, when they started to repair things and clean up, they found the books of the law. And that's when the passage I read a moment ago took place. And so how did he respond to to this moment? In chapter 22 of 2 Kings at verse 11, it says this, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. That's a sign of anguish and and, and deep pain inside. He gave orders to Hilkiah, the priest, and these other names, okay, and to go, and then he did, he inquired of the Lord. And then from there, there was a prophetess. This is one of the occasions, very few of them, where a woman was a prophet. And, and she gave a message from God uh, about why this has happened, about what God's going to do about this eventually. And basically, God already made up his mind that this, this nation is, is going to be destroyed because of the sin of Manasseh and the fact that all the people followed him into it. If it was just a messed up king, the people said, oh, now we've had enough of you. We're going to find a way to replace you. That's one thing. But when the people followed his awful leadership and became awful themselves, then God said, that's it. I've had enough. But because he humbled himself, God responded. And down in the 19th verse of chapter 22, it says this. This is God speaking through this prophetess. Because your heart was responsive, And you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste 
And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see the disaster I am going to bring on this place. So basically, all during his 31 years of reign, his nation remained at peace. And, and, and God's wrath was not going to come upon them because of what Josiah did, because of the way he led, and how the people responded. But after him, it went downhill very quickly. The kingdom only lasted 22 years after Josiah's life. And the Babylonian Empire, which had just come in and kicked out the Assyrians themselves, is now the new king in town, some guy named Nebuchadnezzar, one of my favorite names in all the Bible and all the history. <laughs> yeah, Jehoshaphat and Nebuchadnezzar. Those are great names. Um, glad we didn't have a boy. Okay. Um, but this is how God responded to say to Josiah, you won't see this devastation. And so what did he do? Now, he heard the scriptures that had been lost under some cabinet and in a dusty drawer somewhere, and they were pulled out. And he now reads them to the people. In chapter 23, verse 1, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Isn't that great? Now hear this. He heard the words of Scripture that he had never heard before because they were lost. And he was excited but filled with anguish about the disobedience of his own people. He was moved, he was motivated inside because the scripture spoke to him. I hope that's happened to you. I hope that happens to you quite often. I hope you're going to the scriptures and opening up your heart to what God has to say to you to reveal something new or to remind you of something you've forgotten. But when you get to that moment of inspiration, when you get to that moment where God's speaking to you, God's rebuking you, God's encouraging you, it's too good to keep to yourself. It's too good just to say, oh, thank you, God, well, I'm good now. No, what do you do? You, you, you tell a friend you're thankful for it. You share it at church on Sunday. God blessed my life because of these scriptures. Find ways to, to share the blessing of the power of scripture in you and bless others with it. That's what this king did. And he gathered all the people together, and it wasn't good enough to, for, to in his mind, okay, um, high priest, Hilkiah, you go ahead and read all this to the people because you're the high priest. No, he wanted to do it. I'm the one that got inspired here, and I want to share. I'm excited to hear this. And even though it's hard news for us to hear, it's good, that, and we need to hear it. And this king read, and the people responded. It says at the end of the third verse of chapter 23, then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant, the message of God's word to their lives. And as a people, they 
started over again in terms of their, their faith. And that's because he read the scriptures of the people. He removed objects of evil. Now, going back to the, what the king before him had done, who had set up all of that awful stuff, all those practices, in the temple itself. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read all these verses from the 23rd chapter, but this was the level of debauchery, disgust, that, that had taken place through his grandfather's leadership. So picking up at the fourth verse of chapter 23, now, now listen for the number of times it says the temple. What is the temple? The temple was the place that, that God allowed Solomon to build for worship, for sacrifice, for praise, to carry out the feast. And Solomon was blessed and was rich, and it was, it was immaculate and beautiful and a huge place. But it was there because it was the place where people were supposed to go to encounter God. And what did the kings later do with it? Listen to what Manasseh did, how bad it was when Josiah had to clean up the mess of his grandfather. Verse 4, chapter 23. The king ordered Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest next in rank, and the doorkeepers, to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and the starry host. Further down, he did away with idolatrous priests appointed by the kings of Judah. Verse 6, he took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord. Um, Verse 7, he tore down the quarters of of male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. The quarters of women, of of where women did weaving for Asherah, a false god. Down in verse 10, he desecrated Topheth, which is a false god, an idol, which was in the valley of Haman, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire of Molech. Child sacrifice was going on. Um, and, and if you just keep reading through the rest of the 23rd chapter, example after example, the depth and the sadness of what this king did, and his grandson is there to clean it up. His grandson is there to remove it, to get rid of it. But it's not enough just to remove the evil. What are you going to replace that void with? It is good and important in our lives to get to the place of repentance where we realize, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. It's hurt me. It's hurt those that I love. It's dishonoring to God. Lord, I want better for my life. I want to honor you differently in my life. How do I do that? So if it's just stopping the wrong but not replacing it with what is good and what is right, it won't last. And Josiah understood that. So now that we've torn down all of the idols, now that we've cleaned up the temple, let's use the temple for its intended purpose. Now think for a moment 
about in New Testament teaching and language and understanding, where is the temple now? It's in you. Or more correctly, He is in you. Each of us, as Paul writes, you are the temple of the Spirit of God. Individually we are. We collectively as followers of Jesus are also the temple of the living God. So have we allowed idols of the heart to come in and take up residence within us, within our lives that have have pushed us away from God or or, or distracted us from his ways? Or are we going to take this temple that he's blessed us with and honor him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength so that we can be used of God in the best possible ways in this world. The temple. The people were gathered under Josiah's leadership to celebrate a Passover. And it tells us that in verse 21 of chapter 23. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover of the Lord your God as is written in the book of the covenant. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. It's very similar to what happened with his great-grandfather Hezekiah. And last week we looked at that story, how he brought a Passover celebration that was so powerful, it was better than anything happened since Solomon. Well, apparently his great-grandson Josiah even outdid that. (laughs) And I'm sure Hezekiah was very proud of him from heaven. That this celebration, and, and, and what is the Passover celebration at its core? We're free because God intervened. We have salvation because blood was spilt on our behalf and we put it over the doorpost of our homes so that the oldest in our household, the firstborn, would be safe and protected from death. In a few moments, we're going to share together in the bread and the cup and we're also going to celebrate freedom. And it's no coincidence that this practice of the followers of Jesus was established the very night that the Passover was being celebrated with his disciples because at its core it has the same meaning. But this is a greater fulfillment, as great as the Passover was. This is a sacrifice given that never has to be repeated. And it's open to everyone. And we celebrate that today. So in summary, we have two scriptures about this great King Josiah. First of all, within this text itself in 2 Kings 23 at 25, it says, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength, in accordance with the law of Moses. When Jesus was asked the question about what the greatest commandment is, he answered that. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, 
and to love your neighbor as yourself, which was kind of his tagline, okay? A very important one. But Josiah understood that. And then I want to, 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 as we wrap this up, I want you to listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said about Josiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Josiah. He lived and preached in his days. And thankfully, he didn't have any, many, many warnings, if any, for Josiah about how God's frustrated with him because God wasn't for the most part. But after him, with Josiah's own sons, it was a different story. And that his, his first son that was king only lasted two months, and the next king was also another one of Josiah's sons, Jehoiakim. This message in Jeremiah chapter 22 is, for, is from God through the prophet Jeremiah to this king, the son of Josiah. And listen for how he references his own father, Josiah, in this message. This is the 13th verse of chapter 22. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar, and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? What he did was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? Listen to that teaching. Not just a rebuke of a king who's not following God, even though he had a great example in his own dad of what that means, what that looks like. But in acknowledging the faith and the obedience of Josiah, listen again to what matters to the heart of God for a king, for any leader, for any person, for any human being. He defended the cause of the poor and needy. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? You want to know the heart of God. You want to understand His will and His ways. You want to align your life with, with, with His goodness and learn from Him. And, and as much as you've been blessed so far, you want to be blessed more. How do you get there? Never lose sight of those in need. Ever. Because that's what matters to God. And Josiah, in addition to all the things we just talked about, had this at his core the whole time. And that's why it was so pleasing to God. Because there are people in need all the time. There are people who are poor all the time. What are we doing? What am I doing 
to touch their lives with love and action. That's the heart of God. That's what He wants for us. So what, how, do we, how do we lead change? What are examples from this man? Be humble before God and man. When he realized that he was wrong, he bowed down in front of the people and prayed and asked God to forgive him and his people. Share a vision from the Scriptures with others. When God's blessed you with truth from the Scripture, it's too good to keep to yourself. Share it with others. Remove objects that cause people to stumble. The idols of the heart, the things in our lives that get in the way, that become idolic to us. And, and that's such a vast array of them today. And it's really not simple. I could say, well, throw your computer away. Throw your cell phone away, but, well, wait a minute. There's good things about those things, too. Yeah, there is. So it's not the, the object itself so much. It's what you do with it. And, and ask God for help if you're struggling in some way with what's happening on your devices. That is, in some form in your life, an idol, an idol of your heart. And then celebrate salvation and freedom. And that's what we're going to do as we gather now to remember what Jesus did for us. And remember, too, this verse. It's probably familiar to all of you, I think. This is from Micah chapter 6. Micah was a prophet during the time of Hezekiah. And he says this in reference to what matters to God. The previous verses leading up to this verse talk about sacrifice. And you have to sacrifice. You have to give up this. You have to follow all these rules. And what God's really after isn't that. Even then, it wasn't that. It's this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Isn't that a question we all have? To act justly and to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Just like the way Jeremiah spoke about Josiah to that crooked king. Follow that path, Jehoiakim, but unfortunately he didn't. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Those three things work together. When we, when we act justly, we're standing up for what is good, for what is right. And yet, we also have to balance that with loving mercy. So when someone messes up, oh, okay, you did, but there's forgiveness in Christ for that. And how do you keep those two things in balance? How do, how do you come into a situation, into a relationship? How do, how do we make decisions in our lives and connect with people to keep acting justly and loving mercy in balance? It's the third one, walk humbly. But for the grace of God, there go I. That helps keep you humble, doesn't it? I'm not going to get so stuck on, on the rules that I become a Pharisee. But I'm also not going to say, ah, sin doesn't matter, don't care, God forgave you. No, it still matters. And we keep those things in balance in all that we do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table this morning, we thank you for the freedom and the salvation that is represented in the bread, in the cup. And we thank you for every person here today. And we ask that you would now bless our fellowship. Thank you that we are your temple, personally and individually, but also collectively here gathered in your name today we are also your temple and may we honor you with our lives as we come forward this morning in praise and honor for the body and blood of jesus that we share in his name we pray amen